Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. You got a copy of the Word. Open it up to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. We'll look at two verses very quickly, and you're hearing today, verses 18 and 19. Been teaching for some time along this theme of above all. Considering the fact that Jesus Christ is preeminent and supreme, period. Considering the fact that there's nobody like him, he's unique. Considering the fact that it's undeniable that when you see him, there is no argument about who he is or what place he holds in this universe. That there he is. And there is no debate that Jesus Christ is supreme. We understand that he's unrivaled, that there's nobody out there that's going to slip up on his backside and take his throne and his position from him. We understand that he always has sat on the throne of this universe. He sits on it right now. Beloved, you look as far into tomorrow as you can, and there you'll find Jesus Christ in his rightful place. Above all, we've looked at a few thoughts in the life of the Christian for sure. He ought to be above all in our hearts. He ought to be above all in our hopes. Why? Because he has done what no one else could for us. And beloved, he can do what no one else can. We understand that he's above all in creation. Man, when we look around us, man, the beauty of this canopy, man, it betrays the glory of the creator. Doesn't the psalmist say the heavens, what? Declare the glory of the Lord. Man, I'm telling you, they point to the fact that there, there is a God out there who has uh, masterfully created all that we see and all that we understand. Colossians tells us that Jesus Christ is that master, that he was there when it was created, and that by it, by him, all the things that we see enter work and consist and go on. We see also that he's above all in salvation. Beloved, there is no other hope, listen to me, for salvation apart from the life and the work of of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How many of y'all have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life today? You know how it got there? It got there because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nothing you did, nothing you ever could have done. It all got there by his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. A lot of things going on in salvation. But above it all stands the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, the thought we must consider and that I want us to consider is that Jesus Christ also... Is above all in what I call the congregation. He's above all in the congregation. Let's read, if, we, if you can, uh, chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 18 and 19. It reads this way. Now he, and who is that? That's Jesus, isn't it? So on the count of three, I just want you to say Jesus out loud. On one, two, three, Jesus. That's who it is. And we could well read this now. Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have, and here is really the overall theme of our series, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Verse 19, for it pleased, it made the Father very happy, that in him, and that's Jesus again, that in Jesus should all fullness well, there are three great, really, relational statements in the New Testament concerning the connection between Jesus Christ and his church. At least three. There may be more, but I see three very clearly. Number one, the Word talks about the fact that we are a part of the bride. He calls the body, the church, his bride. 
Man, I'm glad I'm looking for the day that I'll see him face to face, don't you? I'm looking for the day that revelation comes true. And what does it say? That there's going to be a great supper there. There's going to be a great celebration there. And you know what the title of that celebration is as far as God's concerned? He said, we're going to celebrate together and we're going to call it the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be when the great bridegroom of our souls calls us all together in that last day. And we will settle down together as his bride. And there we'll fellowship throughout all eternity. I had a fellow this week, we were eating some pizza with a family. And man, he was particularly enjoying his pizza. He looked up and said, Pastor, I believe pepperoni has got to be in heaven. I mean, he said, I believe there's going to be pepperonis in heaven. I believe, hey, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, I believe there's going to be untold kinds of food that we've never tasted. But I believe better than anything is going to be that resounding truth that throughout all eternity, I am his and, and he is mine and we shall dwell in intimacy together forever and ever and ever. And what a joy it is to look into the Word and understand that you are a part of the bride of Christ. The second analogy that he often uses, and Paul uses it particularly, is that we are a building of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 19 and following, Paul talks about the church as being a building of God. He says that we are citizens with the saints and we are members of the household of God. He talks about us being built up together as a sanctuary of the Lord. Yes, on the foundation of the apostles and their prophets, but he mentions one cornerstone. Who is who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the chief cornerstone, and on him he builds the church. We are built together, put together, and we are built for one reason only, and that is to be a dwelling place for God. The fullness of the Spirit is to dwell in us. The church, man, is a building. He talks about it, uh, fit for the presence and the dwelling, indwelling of an almighty God. Man, I tell you, I, I love this building. I love this place, and when I think about church, this is kind of what I think about, but beloved, there's another building that's far better than this building, and this building has little to do with it. It's a building that's made up of every saint that's ever named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are fitly joined together, and yes, He dwells in our presence now. I have felt Him in our worship this morning. I have felt Him in our prayers, and He is here in us this morning, but can you imagine what it will be like when we walk into eternity, and there we'll be fitly finished, the building of God, and throughout all of glory, He will indwell His people and he will take up residence in them. The church is a building, beloved, of God, fit for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, my soul. The third illustration I'd like to point out is a body. There are many places that Paul himself again uses this description in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. He, he talks about the church being the body, if you will, of Christ. He does it here again in, in Colossians chapter 1. He talks about us being the body of Christ. Now, we as individuals, church, we make up the body of Christ. Now, as imperfect as we are, and, in, and as improbable as that thought may be, we make up the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, everybody in here plays a role. Everybody in here holds a position in the body of Christ. There's something that he's counting on you to do in his body today. There's something that he's counting on me to do in his body today. I, I, heard, a, I heard a story, and a guy related this, that he believes there are four main bones, if you will, in every organization considering as a body. 
First of all, he cites the wishbones. He says every organization has wishbones. And he says what those are are the people that stand around wishing somebody would do something about the problem that's so obvious out there. All they do is stand around, I just wish somebody, I just wish somebody, I just wish somebody would do something about these things. You always have these wishbones. The second bone he cited was a jawbone. Can you imagine what he says they always do? He says there's always jawbones, people who just stand around talking and criticizing and tearing down everything that's going on. He says there's also knucklebones, those who knock everything. Man, when you get the knucklebones and the jawbones together, beloved, some great damage happens in any organization. Then he cites this. He says there's these backbones. He says those are those who carry the brunt of the load. They do most of the work. And in the body of Christ, we could readily apply that. We can see the evidence. But church, all of us have a role in this local body. All of us have something to do in this local body. And in the church universal, all of us play a role. All of us have something that we ought to do. And most of our teaching, when we talk about the body of Christ, goes along these lines. And I have resisted the temptation to follow that today. Because we need not to consider so much the body today. What I want to consider today is its head. I want to consider its head, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are four things to me that are worthy of note in this passage concerning our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, worthy of note is his position in the church. It says that he is what? The head of the body. He is, that's Jesus, is the head of the body. He goes on to say why? That he has how much of the preeminence? He has all the preeminence. His position is that he is in authority. That means he is first, that he is foremost in all things concerning the church. Yes, the church local, but yes, the church universal. He has the final say. He gives all the orders. He makes it happen. Beloved, he is in total and absolute control. Now, we always want to know who's in control. Man, we look at our marriage relationships and we cite with great, thought, great passion. The Word says the husband is the head of the household. I heard a story about a man who died and went to heaven on one occasion. He noticed that in heaven there were two lines for husbands. He said one line was labeled the, the passive husband, and that was for that guy who included his wife and didn't lead with an iron hand, was very passive, almost submissive in a lot of ways, trying to make sure that she was okay. He noted that this long stretch, this line stretched so far, he couldn't see the end of it, back across those greener pastures. He noticed that there was another line, and above it was labeled this, the dominant and authoritative husband. He made note that there was only one man in line under that sign. He went up to him, and he looked at him, and he said, God, just doesn't look like a dominant husband. He's very mousy. He's very small. He's got glasses. He looks so timid. It ain't even funny. He won't even look me in the eye. And he said, man, I tapped him on the shoulder and said, sir, what in the world are you doing in this dominant husband line? He said, I have no idea. My wife told me to stand right here. That's what he said. So we need to know who's in control. We need to understand that. And man, in the church, we have to understand that he is in control. And he holds the seat of authority in his church. 
in his church universal? Yes. Everybody who's ever named the name of Jesus, some of them in glory now, some of them here, some of them yet to be born and to be born again into the kingdom of God. They sit under his authorities and they march according to his orders. And beloved, in the local church body, make no mistake, Jesus Christ is the head. He is in control. We do what he tells us and we go where he sends us. He is without doubt preeminent, has all the preeminence in his church. Now, some people say, Pastor, oh, the people, the people, man, they run the church. We're congregationally governed. And what they vote, that's what we do. And I understand that there is a place. And I understand that there is organization ordained. And we have to have a way that we do things. But let me tell you something. The people do not run the church. Jesus Christ runs the church. He sets an authority over it. We look at the deacon body and we say, well, the deacons, they run the church. That's who makes all the decisions and that's who tells us which way we're supposed to go. They're elected by the people and hey, they rightly are. That's in the word of God and that's the way we ought to conduct ourselves and that's what we ought to do. But what you need to do, church, is elect men who understand that they're not in charge of this place but that the Lord Jesus Christ is ultimately in charge of this place right here and they'll ultimately follow his leadership and do what he says. Man, you even look at me. This isn't my church. I don't run it. Man, he runs this church. It doesn't have much to do with me. I'm called the under-shepherd. And my job is to do what the shepherd tells me at every hand's turn. The Word says that he is the head of the body. He's preeminent in every aspect. His position is one of total control. We used to say he is large and in charge. That's what we used to say. And that's what Jesus Christ is concerning his church. His position is at the very top of it. Secondly, not only worthy of note is his position in the church, worthy of note is his possession of the church. I love verse 18a. It says, he is the head of the body. When you get to looking at that definitive, declarative statement and get to analyzing it, you understand that implied there is the word his at the end of that. It, it should and very well could read this way. And he is the head of the body. In other words, his body. He is the head of his body. Have you ever thought about the head of your body being in charge of somebody else's and somebody else's head being in charge of yours? It just doesn't, not owning yours, it just doesn't work that way. This body belongs to this head. It has the possession of it. And when we see Jesus Christ, we understand that he owns this church, that he owns the church universal. It is his. He said, my father gave them, didn't he, when he was talking about being the good shepherd, he gave them to me. They are mine, he said. And when we understand the church, we have to understand the concept that this is his thing here. Not yours, and not mine. I rightly say, this is my church. And I say it with great pride. Why? Because I'm proud to belong to a body such as this. I say it from a sense of, of belonging. How many of y'all would give the Lord a praise today that you belong right here? How many of y'all are happy that God has called you right here to this church body and this time and this place? I'm happy that you're here. I'd say amen to that. I'm happy every one of you is here. And man, there's a sense in which you ought to understand, yeah, this is your church in a sense of belonging. But when you talk about a sense of ownership, you've got to be careful because we'll get to a place where we begin to take possession of it. And we'll begin to lay hold of it. And the reality is, I don't own any of it. I have no stake in it. I have no claim to it as far as ownership is concerned. I had a good friend some years ago who, who moved away. Uh, he was starting to sell his house and, and kind of uh, downsized so that when they moved the long distance they were headed, they didn't have so many things to consider. 
And he came to me kind of laughing. He says, man, I had to get a survey of my property. I said, well, that's great. Tell me what happened. He said, I had to get a survey. And uh, the surveyor came to me and he said, man, where these stakes are don't match the deed at all. It's on file down at the county office. He said, all I can figure, and by looking at what's, what's going on, is your neighbor has come over here. And he said, come to find out his neighbor had been coming over there in the evening time and pulling up the corner stakes that bordered his property and moving them just a little bit and putting them back in the ground. And then at another time, he'd do the same thing again. And he said, I can figure that through this action, you've lost in the neighborhood of somewhere of three-quarters of an acre of property, according to the pens that are out there. He said, you're going to have to, to get you a lawyer and go. He said, no, I'm going to start with him. He said, I'll just walk over there and present him the problem and say stakes are in the wrong place. He said, man, when he opened the door, he was not happy at all that I was standing there with a diagram like that. He said he was in his 80s at least, and man, he shook his finger in my face and said, let me tell you something, Sonny, I was here a long time before you was, and before them stakes was ever put in that ground, I was right here on this property. I know where the property lines are, and I know what's mine, and if you want to fight on your hands, you've come to the right place if you think we're going to move them stakes ever again. And church, we think we don't do that, but we take ownership of this place. And if we're not careful, we'll say, I've been here. I own this. Let me tell you something. That was somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 years ago. I figure that in this time, if that man is still living, he's got to be in the neighborhood of 105 years old somewhere. I, I would tell you that if he's living, would be a miracle. My suspicion is he's gone on to eternity. Let me ask you this. Did he own it? Is it his? Not at all. I tell you who owned it, the same one who owns the church. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Old movie, uh, uh, Crocodile Dundee, I love a quote from that. Mick Dundee was being interviewed by the lady reporter, and she said, do you own any property here? And he kind of laughed. And he said, the Australian Aborigines have a saying that, man, uh, to say that you own any of the earth is, is rather like two fleas arguing over who owns the dog they're riding on. <laughs> Never forgot that. And man, to say that we own any part of this church, man, it's that same thing. We don't own it. It's his church. It belongs to him. And man, you say, Pastor, no one feels that way. Oh, yes, they do. I can't tell you how many times, Pastor, this is my pew. Nobody's going to sit in this place but me. This is my pew. Man alive, my daddy carried those rocks up here. This is my church, man. We ain't leaving here. It belongs to us. We're the ones that, that scratched it up out of the ground. And it belongs to us. We're not going to be run off from here and go anywhere. It's my church. That's a detrimental attitude. You see, it really belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he is the head of his body, the only body, the church. He's the one that owns everything that we ever have been or ever hope to be. Thirdly, worthy of notice is his position in the church. Worthy of notice his possession of the church, but also worthy of notice his production in the church and of the church. Man, who produced the things important? Uh, man, you want to know who manufactured a thing? Uh, I'm not here to split this congregation today over automobile makes and manufacturers. But man, in the old days, you could look at a car coming down the road a long ways from you, and you could tell who manufactured it, couldn't you? I mean, I could still do it. Man, oh, that's a Charger. That's a Dodge right there. Yeah, that's a little Mustang coming out. I believe that's a 60. You can almost call the years uh, from the distinctions between them. Nowadays, it's tough to do that, isn't it? Man, you see a car at a distance, and you're thinking, what on earth is that? I don't know. Why? They all look rather similar to me anymore. I mean, they all do. There might be little nuances. The only way to really know is to get up close to it and see what kind of badging's on it, whether it's a Toyota or a Honda or anything like that. If, if you get up close to a car and it's a Chevrolet, what are you going to see? 
a bow tie. See some of you Chevrolet fans in the house? You get up to a Ford, what are you going to see? Other than oil and grease dripping down the side of it. What are you going to see? I said that because I'm a Ford man. I'm trying to, hey, I'm trying to give equal time here. You're going to see the blue oval, aren't you? You're going to see it, and you're going to know it's a Ford. Uh, my dad this past week, had, had uh, he's got a little Ford Explorer. You say, you're a Ford man, why? Because my daddy was. I mean, that's all he ever owned, and, and man, that's what he taught me to be, is just a Ford man. That's, that's, that's just who I am. Uh, he ordered a part for the back end of his little Explorer. It's about 10 years old, and, and over time, the back ends of those things will develop a little crack, and he didn't like that. So he ordered him a piece to replace that on the back, and that piece has a big blue oval that goes in the middle. And they told him, they said, when we're fixing this, odds are, uh, you know, it might not happen, but odds are we won't be able to get that oval off of there without damaging it. And the best thing you can probably do is just buy you another one. And when you bring it to fix it, we'll put the part on and we'll put that oval on there. Well, he ordered one from Ford Motor Company. It came in the mail. He pulled it out and he was a little disconcerted because the oval wasn't blue. The oval was black. And man, he was just disconcerted by this. He brought it to me. He said, Stace, why would they send me a black oval? I mean, Ford, it's not, it's not emblematic of a Ford, a black oval. It's a blue oval. Everybody knows Ford's a blue oval. So he went on eBay and got him a blue oval and brought it in and had it put on the back of his car. He don't want a black oval. Why? He don't want a knockoff company. He said, some knockoff company made that. They intercepted. That's not the real genuine article. Man, and I tell you, he wants the badging to be right. And churches, you know, we want our badging to be right. We want to understand who produced us, and we want a world who's looking at us to be able to clearly see who we belong to and what we're a product of. It said that, man, uh, we, we came from his resurrection power. Look what he says carefully. He says, man, he is the firstborn. Didn't he say that? He is the beginning of all this. He started the church as she is. He is the firstborn from the dead. What he's saying is his resurrection power gave life to the church in the first place. And man, it's that resurrection power that ought to mark us as his church as we live and move and have our being. You see, it's difficult for me to understand a church being the church of Jesus Christ and you go to it and there's absolutely no life in it. There's no shred of his presence. There's no shred of his power. There's no shred of his care and concern and love. You see, he ought to badge who we are. He produced us in the beginning. And beloved folks ought to see him in us and on us and through us. They ought to see his resurrection power living. I thought about this. Doesn't the word say, and especially of the last days of the church, man, she had a form of godliness. But what did she lack? She lacked the power thereof. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that when I pull up on this property, I sense the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm glad that in our worship, there is his presence, man. I'm glad that in the spoken word, that he comes and he takes up and he speaks into the hearts and the lives of people. It's difficult for me to imagine going to a place that claims they know the resurrected creator of this universe and they're deader than four o'clock. And I wonder if the world isn't looking at us going, wow, is that, is that, they really, is that really all there is to it? He's saying, man, the Lord Jesus Christ produced you. It was by his resurrection that you were born into existence. Incidentally, I love this sentiment in this verse. It says he is first. He's the first with brand new life. You say, well, he wasn't the first to be raised from the dead. Lazarus was, yes. He was raised from the dead. But let me ask you this. Jesus raised him himself. But let me ask you this. Did he eventually die? He sure did. But I'm here to tell you, when those ladies made their way to that tomb that morning and that stone was rolled away, 
Jesus Christ was not there. And they said, why are you looking for somebody who's alive among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Jesus said, I am he that was dead. I was dead, but beloved, now I am alive. And what did he say? I'll be alive, how long? Forever and ever and evermore. And you see, because of his resurrection power, we have a life in us, man, that'll last throughout all eternity. That's why we'll exist alongside him and reign alongside him. Beloved, I've done all the dying I'm going to do. Why? Because I'm alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, we ought to be alive. We ought to be marked by that resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ at all times. Worthy of note is his position in the church. Man, he stands at the head of this thing. Worthy of note is his possession of the church. It belongs to him. Worthy of note is his production. We ought to see his life, his resurrection power resonating in us. It ought to, it ought to mark us, man. It's what started us, and it ought to be what people see in us in these moments. Lastly, worthy of note is his provision for the church. I love verse 19. It says, For it pleased the Father... That in Jesus should, how much, what's that three little word? Say it out loud. All the fullness dwell. All fullness dwells in Jesus Christ. And we as his church, man, what a joy that we understand that, that we have access to everything that is God. Not half, not a great portion, but every ounce of the fullness of God. Every divine attribute of the Father has been invested in the Son. And He sits at the head of His church. And His church has access to the fullness of God in and through Him. Whatever we need, we have. How? In Jesus. It may seem like a trite answer, but it's true. If you're a note taker today, you ought to write down uh, a few things. Write down a few things that you think you need. Write down a, a few situations that you're facing, things that are in front of you that you're going, Father, I don't know how I'm going to get through those. Man, I don't know how I'm going to resolve that. Man, write down a, a, a few things that, that you can't control. There are things that come into my life that I fret over and I have absolutely no control over. And out beside them, you ought to write, the answer is nothing more or less than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because in Him dwelleth all fullness, everything you'll ever need. Church, as we grow, man, there's going to be some things we need along the way. There's going to be some situations we face along the way. We're going to have to have God show up down the road. I'm just here to tell you because He's leading us into a realm of faith that I don't know that we've ever existed in before. But you know what? I go there with a great assurance. You know what it is? That I have all the fullness of the head at our disposal. And anything we really need, God has already made available to us in His dear Son. I love uh, being a Southern Baptist for a lot of reasons. My, my favorite is the, is the missionary effort. We have some great statesmen that we look back in history and we point to their lives. And man, what an inspiration that they are. And man, we ought to be moved by the kind of sacrifice and the kind of obedience they displayed to the Lord, men, women. One of my favorites in history is a man named Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. He had complete trust in God's faithfulness. I want to read a journal entry that, that he penned with his own hand. It reads this way. It says, Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well 
that his children will wake up. I love this, with a good appetite every morning. He knows I'm going to need some bacon when I get up in the morning. That's what he's saying. He's saying he knows that his children are going to wake up with a good appetite every morning. He further wrote this. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect that he will send three million missionaries to China. But if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. That's what he wrote in his journal. He wrote this further. God's work. This same journal entry. Man, if you forget everything else I've said about this, you remember this. He wrote this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And you know where that supply comes from? It comes from His Son because in Him it has pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell. Church, what we need today, He is. Anything we face today, He's enough. Any question we have today, He can answer. Any foe that comes against us, He's enough to repel and defeat. In Him, all the fullness dwells. His provision for the church. And that, that supply is dynamic. It's never-ending. It's readily available to anybody who will ask. In the congregation, beloved, we have to understand that Christ is above all. He's supreme. He is preeminent. It isn't about you. It isn't about me. It isn't about what I want. It isn't about what I like. It isn't about what I desire. It isn't about what I think. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. His position, His possession, His production, and His provision. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. What role does he play in your life? I'm going to make this personal to you. What role does he play in your life? Only you can answer that question. Did you know that? And oh, you might put on a great front and everybody around you say, Oh, yes, the Lord Jesus. He's at the head of her life. Yes, yes. He's at the head of that little boy's life. But I'm asking you, just between you and your Heavenly Father, what role does He play in your life? Is everything you have His? Do you understand that He owns it all? If He asks you for it, would you open your hand and give it to Him without reservation? Do you understand that He's just entrusted you with a few of these gifts and talents, a few of the treasuries that you have? But they ultimately belong to Him. Do you understand that it's Him that breathed life into you today? If you're saved, if you're born again, it was a mighty, miraculous move of God Himself that reached down inside you and took an old dead spirit and breathed life back into it again. Do you understand that it was His resurrection power as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that guarantees me that one of these days I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but it will never lay its hands on me? What role does He play in your life? Is He your provision? Are you chasing every dollar you can get today? 
Are you working yourself into oblivion, thinking, man, at some point, I'm going to have enough money that I'm going to be sure everything's going to be all right. Let me tell you, uh, you already have everything that heaven has to offer at your disposal in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the fullness. He's the fullness. Are you a part of the body today? Have you ever come to a place just to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Maybe you have a need today, something we can pray for. Maybe you're led to become a part of this body. I'd invite you to come. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.